0: Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider, presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by my old pal David Moore. Hello, David.
1: Hey, Kevin. How are you doing today?
0: Well, I'm doing just great. You know, we don't have Evan with us yet. He couldn't come on in the early segment because uh, he's at the doctor. You know, they're they're still trying to figure Evan out. Fig- uh, figure out, yeah,
1: yeah. And you said singular doctor. I think there are there is a <laughs> there's a committee. Uh, a very yeah. large committee of doctors. Yes, a, that, team, uh,
0: <laughs> a team of doctors working on Evan around the clock. Uh, you know, even well, I do when you he's find not it there. interesting,
1: too. Dur- during the ranger season, we constantly have to change the time of our podcast because he's like, well, I'm on the West Coast. I don't want to get up that early or this or that. And now he's in the off season, and like every single week, it's like, oh, well, I'm having biscuits with my second cousin. So we need to move <laughs> it back an hour or... It's okay though if it's his cousin the clown. I'm all right with that.
0: <laughs> when he gets his cousin the clown in town, that is big stuff. You know who's got a co- who's got a cousin that's a professional clown? That's what I that's what I want to know. Only Evan, only Evan. Of course, that's probably the way his cousin introduces him as well. Here's my cousin the clown. <laughs> Here's my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, Evan also a professional clown. All right, that's uh, uh we, we need to talk a little bit about the Cowboys. Obviously, uh, we we had a couple of developments uh, besides this uh, uh, abominable loss to the Packers, uh, in which pretty much all the things that are the horror stories of about the Cowboys manifested themselves in this game at Lambeau Field. Did they not?
1: Yeah, I, I mean that's, um, you know, and first let's take a step back real quick that game started three games in 12 days for Dallas and really in any season, wherever they are two and one coming out of that many games in that short of a span is, is a goal to obtain, right? I mean, that's good in any season, wherever you are, even a top team, it's going to be hard to take all three of those games. But when you look at the schedule, Green Bay was the launching point to get you to 2-1-1, right? Uh, Because you're looking at a split uh, at Minnesota and the Giants within a span of five days on this coming Sunday and then uh, Thanksgiving. So now Dallas has to beat Minnesota in Minnesota and uh, the Giants to come out of this stretch the way they envisioned they would. And that's put them in a very difficult spot. Um, I I, I will tell you, uh, you know, when they were – had a 14-point lead and were up 28-14 to going into the fourth quarter. From what we had seen of how this defense had played over the course of the season, I didn't really think there was a way that Green Bay could come back. And yes, I'm very aware of Aaron Rodgers and his long history and what he's done, but the way the defense had played all season, and really you only needed one to two plays made by offense, the offense in the fourth quarter. And that game is over. Um, the fact they allowed that to slip away, the defense over the rest of the way after they went to that 28 14 lead gave up 21 plays for 174 yards and two touchdowns before regulation was over. The offense didn't make any plays. And, uh, and, you know, they allowed Green Bay to score on a not just convert a fourth and seven, but score on a fourth and seven. So just a complete, utter breakdown uh, by the defense, uh, you saw again uh, the the ground game. To to me, the most disturbing and alarming thing for Dallas was that at 28-14, everything we know and we've seen about Aaron Rodgers was, I need to take this game over and win it myself. I've done it before. You've seen it time and time again. I can bring this team back. It's a five-game losing streak. I mean, if we lose this game, we're completely out of it. Who knows what happens? I'm going against my former coach. I'm taking over. And Aaron Rodgers, with all those inclinations that we've seen time and time again, went out on the field and said, "Nah, I'm fine handing it off the rest of the game and getting back that way and taking a few shots here and there. Uh, to me, that uh, is until, what- the, until the end
0: of regulation when he did have yeah. a little problem with the play calling at that point and told yeah. his head coach as much.
1: Sure. But but again, you know, this is, that's the thing about Aaron Rodgers' greatness, right, is that he's like, I can take it on myself. And the fact that down 14 points, he was patient enough to say, okay, I don't have to insert myself on, you know, every single snap here. I'm happy handing it off three, four, five times in a row and then taking a shot uh, against their single coverage. Um, when he was getting single coverage, I mean, it, they were inviting him to throw and he didn't take him up on it. And with the 14 point deficit, he had to know that, Hey, these guys can't stop us on the ground. Uh, we have them. And, uh, so that, that was pretty alarming. Now Dallas is looking at a fact where it's allowed 447 yards rushing in the last two games. Um, how do you fix that? You look at Dalvin cook this week, uh, you have Saquon Barkley on Thanksgiving day, you come right out of that. You have Jonathan Taylor, who has been hurt this season, but it's just coming off a game where he ran for, what, 147 yards or 170 yards. Um, they, it's, it's interesting to me. A few years ago, we would look at the Cowboys' opponent and go, oh, that quarterback's going to carve them up. Oh, that quarterback is just going to destroy the secondary. Boy, this is going to be bad. They can't match up with them. Now you look at the remainder of the Cowboys' schedule and you go, Oh, that running back is going to give him big problems. Oh, wow, this one. How are they going to contain that, you know, uh, running yeah. back?
0: Yeah, that, that's the issue here is I, I think we had two different things going on after after the game and an explanation, which is usually what happens, you know, when you uh, yeah. have a loss like that. Everybody's trying to come up with an explanation and they don't always jive. Um, you had and, – and Mike McCarthy said this before, you know, this is the way we're built, in other words, mm-hmm. you know, we're built w- with with speed in the defensive line they, that we don't, you know, that's why they made the trade for Jonathan Hankins. He's a he's a bigger guy, a bigger body that you can put out there and be a run stopper. But that's not the way they were built. They were built more or less for speed and, and pass rush ability they have, have sure. two-way defensive tackles instead of just a, a, a big, they never liked that guy, or at least they haven't in the last you know, 10, 15 years, they don't don't like to have that technique. Who's just a, all he does is just stop the run. He doesn't do anything else. Uh, But then you had, of course, after the game, Micah Parsons famously went off and and talked about the lack of discipline and guys needed to be accountable and they need to stay in their gaps and control those instead of trying to play hero ball. So, so what is it, David? Is it, is it more of the way this is the way they're built or is it more that they are just being undisciplined?
1: Well, one, they are built to rush the quarterback and cover on the back end. Uh, and I have no problem with them being built that way. That's, that's where the league was going uh, and, and has been um, now it, in that um, you're sacrificing a little bit of girth and, and the ability on the ground. And again, look at how many nickel and dime packages they're in, where they're putting in safeties and they go smaller uh, and, and teams can run against smaller, the, the nickel and the dimes, right? in uh, and, and actually, you're kind of seeing that in the league this year. I, I think I think the average per carry in the league this year is the highest it's been in like 35 seasons or something. So offensive coordinators are finally saying, okay, if you're gonna, you know, all defenses have adapted and they're covering everything in the in the passing game and rushing the quarterback, well, we're gonna run at you because you're you're gonna leave some seams. So I, I, Dallas is built. this is their Achilles heel. That being said, they currently rank number 29 in the league in run defense. And, you know, just a few short weeks ago, we were talking about, well, how elite, you know, where does this defense stand on the uh, uh, elite level? Is it truly elite? Is it one step below? Well, you can't be that bad in a major phase of the game and even be in the discussion about an elite defense or even a, even a dominant defense. So th- the problem is that you're so bad in the run game right now. It strips them of their identity defensively, which is a fierce pass rush and getting some turnovers and being really good in coverage. Um, they're not getting to that, as Mike McCarthy says, rushing the quarterback is a privilege, and they've been so bad in run defense, they haven't been, they don't have that privilege. They didn't have it enough against Green Bay, and uh, Chicago is a little different, you know, animal. But um, so, yeah, they've got to. To me, how do you fix it? And they maintain we had the personnel here to fix it. One, scheme. You know, This to me, what was troubling, too, this last game was they played a lot more man defense than they had at any other game this season. And what do you do when you play man defense? You have an extra defender in the box against the run. And Green Bay was still able to run on them. Yeah. Now, to me, that was pretty So now they've got to look and say, okay, um, Do they have to give up some of what makes them special in the pass rush to stop the bleeding in the run game? And how do you do that? Well, maybe you don't run as many stunts as you did. It it appeared to me that one of those Aaron Jones touchdowns came when Dante Fowler was looping inside uh, on a stunt, and they ran right by where he would have been if he would have stayed in place, and they just would have rushed straight. So I I think some of the creativity that was giving teams so much of a problem early in the season from the Dallas defense, I think now teams are going, okay, let's use that against them. And and you've seen that these last two games. Now it's on Dan Quinn and the defensive side of the ball to say, okay, maybe we just have to get there in a more straightforward manner and we have to take care of the run game first and then get back to who we are. Um, So I I think that's kind of how they have to approach it from Minnesota. Well, no question
0: about it because of Dalvin cook. Uh, now the one thing you could say is that Kirk Cousins isn't Aaron Rodgers, Uh, and so, uh, he's not, he's, he has his moments, uh, and he's, and he's pretty effective at times. He's, he's not so effective at other times. He's a, actually, his production level is a lot like, uh, Dak Prescott's. Yeah. Uh, we, we see the same it kind is. of quarterbacks. Dak was, Dak struggled very, uh, mightily there in the first half until right before the half, uh, when they tied the score, uh, you know, it, it, David, is it a thing with with uh, Dak where he's just going to struggle when the when the weather's bad, when it's cold like that? Was, was the thumb bothering him any? You know, sometimes that can happen when you've had a recent injury and you're, you're playing in the cold. Uh,
1: he he didn't take that as an excuse, but we've seen him you know in cold or wet weather uh, get off to very slow starts a lot of times. So it's uh, you can't dismiss that that's factored in there. Uh, and, and for all we just said about the the run defense and, and the Dallas defense and and. To me, they were the primary culprit why Dallas lost in Green Bay. When you have a 28-14 lead against a team with inexperienced receivers uh, and knowing they were just going to run on you, they should have been able to stop that um, and and were not. But two, that should not minimize that. I thought Dak Prescott had a very poor game. And uh, go back to – now, you can argue – you know, he had two interceptions, which one was on him, which wasn't all of this. But after they the, the strip fumble of Aaron Rodgers is already up 7-0, they have the ball. I mean, they don't they don't have to gain any yards, and they're getting a field goal there, right, to go up 10-0. Well, on third down, um, that is where Dalton Schultz got, got pushed off his route. Uh, him and, and C.D. Lamb wound up in the same spot right in the middle of the Packers' defense. And rather than throw the ball out of the end zone, uh, you know, Dak tries to squeeze it in there and and it's picked off and they get no points. And then Aaron Rodgers responds and they go right down the field and suddenly it's 7-7. You know, if it is a 10-0 game there, and let's just say for the sake of argument, because there's not a momentum play, then they kick off um, – and, and Dallas's defense does stop Green Bay on that next play. And, and it's 10-0 for a while, and Dallas has the ball back. Is Aaron Rodgers going to be that patient all game with the run game uh, if you're staring at a double-digit deficit for long? So I think it changed the complexion of the game, and it allowed um, – You know, Green Bay to jump in it. And then that second interception, well, the miscommunication between him and CD Lamb, and they score again. And now suddenly Green Bay's up 14 7. Uh, It completely changed the complexion of the game the rest of the way. And the one thing Dallas could not do against a team that had lost five straight on the road was allow them to take an early lead. And that's what Dallas's, that is what Dak Prescott did. Uh, with his poor decision-making, he allowed Green Bay to take an early lead. And while Dallas did come back and take a lead, um, they weren't able to hold it. I mean, this was a true team loss. It was uh, was Dak Prescott not doing his job early, and it was the defense not doing its job late. Now, all of that being said, with a 14-point lead and that defense and Green Bay being content to run the ball and take time off the clock – All Dallas needed was one to two plays on offense in the fourth quarter. Conversion and, you know, convert a third down to keep the change, keep the time a little bit longer. And Green Bay wouldn't have had the time to come back and win. And they couldn't produce one to two plays in the fourth quarter offensively to seal the game. So it was a total breakdown in my mind.
0: Absolutely. All right, now let's look at this from the standpoint, David. Do the Cowboys, is Kellen Moore committed enough to the running game to win? And in that game, obviously, when you have penalties, once again, we had the ugly penalty uh, problem rearing its head, nine penalties for 83 yards. They've done a pretty good job this year of, of reducing that number, getting it more into the four and five and 50 yards, which is that's certainly yeah. palatable to have that that type of thing happen to. But you can get up into the eight and nine range. And my God, the the, the Jalen Tolbert, you know, lining up offsides penalty, yeah. which, you know, they, they did kind of overcome that, but still – that is just, first of all, I'm, I'm with everybody who complained, why is this guy even on the field at this particular time? I didn't understand either the play right before the half when Malik Davis is in the game down there after the turnover when they were trying to you know go up uh, 10 to nothing or 14 to nothing. Why is even he in there at that point? I, he, he did have a good game, but this is a very pivotal part of the game where you're trying to put this team away, and you need to have your best players on the field right now. Why do they do those types of things, David?
1: Well, that's the other thing. You know, Mike McCarthy is constantly talking about developing youth. And to do that, you sometimes have to put him in these situations, uh, on, specifically on the question okay. with Jamie Tolbert. Uh, you know, and, and he said, and look, he acknowledged, he said, look, Tolbert actually made two penalties on the play. He was offsides and then it was illegal motion when he moved back right at the snap. So they could have called him on either one. Uh, so it was going to be a penalty, but then as he said, we have to trust our guys to be able to line up. (laughs) Well, um, well now Jalen Tolbert has not, you know, helped himself for getting any more time here. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out going forward. But I, you know, they had to complete the set the way they wanted it. That shouldn't have been an issue, but it became an issue again. They weren't expecting him to do anything on the play other than line up, and he couldn't line up correctly. So, so yeah, when that happens, then you go. You know, Mike McCarthy will tell you, well, this is the other side of developing youth. You know, we've had some younger guys get more time than we wanted to this point, but it's going to serve us in the long run. But it didn't serve them on Sunday when getting getting to seven and when getting to seven and two instead of six and three looks a lot different. Yeah, it
0: does. All right, David, real quickly, let's let's uh let's go over here. Uh what's the injury situation? Should Anthony Barr be back this week? That would make a big difference on that defense as well, I think.
1: Yeah, that's gonna be nip and tuck. And and I do think that was a factor in this game. That is why you saw Micah Parsons. You know, Micah Parsons played forty seven snaps at linebacker in that game. That's more than double what he's played at linebacker in any other game this season. So I think a lot of that was due to Barr's absence. And and I think also I think it was they anticipated Uh, how Green Bay was going to play but you didn't see him have much of an impact right Um, so uh, yeah Barr with that hamstring injury I certainly he wants to play against his his former team no question about that but I think it's going to be nip and tuck Uh, he's right on the cusp of whether or not he can come back this week the other guy to look at is Anthony Brown you know he's still in the concussion protocol and you're not going to know until later this week just where he is on that. And if he's not there, you're going to have to go with Calvin Joseph again. Uh, and you have a receiver on that other side of the ball named Justin Jefferson, who's not a bad player. So, yeah. Um, and, and you saw Rodgers go right at Calvin Joseph in that game. And I would imagine that uh kurt cousins would do the same which which would lead you to believe okay are they just going to put are they just going to put digs on justin jefferson the whole game and say hey we gotta or at least most of the game and say given our corner situation if anthony brown can't play this is how we have to go about it you got to have your best players on their best players in this game i don't think there's any question about
0: that The, the, the cowboys have no no room for failure here. They have to, to, you know, they, they've opened the, the Eagles open the door with that loss to the commanders uh, on Monday night w- in which they, the Washington did pretty much against the Eagles, what everybody's been doing against the Cowboys and that's run the ball uh, and, and make them, you know, uh, and then on defense, you, you, you stop that and make them, make them beat you pass. And I, I still don't, I'm still not a huge fan of Jalen Hurts. So I thought it was very indicative of what, one of the things mm-hmm. that one of the, one of the DBs said was that coaches told us that he throws a lot of 50 50 balls, and they've been winning a lot of those 50 50 balls. Uh, especially when you got a guy like A.J. Brown, you're probably going to win more of those yep. than most teams are. But still, you're taking chances. Not every they've game. Been rolling yep. the dice. Yeah, and I think that that maybe the Eagles are going to start to regress to the mean a little bit here. Uh, they, they played very well and gotten a lot of breaks. But we'll see. The Cowboys have certainly got a win in Minnesota. Uh, as you said, David, if they came out of this stretch two and one, that'd be very good. They still got an opportunity to do that, but they have to beat the Minnesota Vikings up there. All right. That's going to do it for our Cowboys segment today. And we're going to move over now and talk a little bit about baseball. All right. My old buddy, Evan Grant is back with us after his little trip to the doctor. What did the team tell you today, Evan? Is everything okay? Um, first of all, I, I take
2: umbrage at you calling me your little buddy. <laughs> I'm neither little nor buddy. <laughs> Well, you're kind of little. I'm here against my own free will. But I am
0: here. Speaking of pickleball, are the Rangers going to be playing pickleball this next spring? Or is Chris Young going to have a championship rotation in place?
2: Judas Priest, as my good friend Furman Bisher used to say, Kevin. It's two weeks into November and they've added two starting pitchers already.
0: I mean, how much quicker do you want them to add? add. I'm not saying I'm not saying quick. Add. He's 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 adding people quickly. There's no question about it. The question is, is he going to get a, a Jacob Degrom? Is he going to get his Carlos Rodon? What is he going to get?
2: Well, I don't know what he's. I don't know what he's getting you. Usually, he gets me absolutely nothing. But <laughs> here's what I would say: if you look at the Rangers right now, their rotation committed for 2023. In John Gray, Martin Perez, and Jake Rizzi, they've got about thirty-seven million dollars committed financially. That has to be far more um, attractive to them than they probably ever thought they could they could be at in this in this at this moment. So I think it's really important now for them to push hard for more pitching the question i think comes down to this kevin do you pitch do you have the money to push for say a radon or a degrom which is 35 million or above per year and another pitcher or do you simply drop down to the next category which is the group of Yavaldi, chris bassett uh jameson tyone uh, maybe Michael Waka and go for two of those so that you've got five experienced starters in your rotation come March 30th, regardless of what goes on with Dane Dunning and his recovery from from hip surgery. I think that's the big question. I do think that they should have the money if they want to pursue a top-tier pitcher and a middle-tier pitcher. I think they should still have the money to do that.
0: Well, what do you think they should do? Should they go for a big ace, or should they go for two uh, smaller parts?
2: Well, I, I, I also think the wild card, obviously, here is the trade market. And, and clearly, Pablo Lopez of Miami is a very attractive trade piece. And if there's a possibility of adding Lopez via a trade, if that costs you, let's say, Justin Foscue um, and Dustin Harris, or one of Josh Smith and Ezekiel Duran and Dustin Harris, you have to consider that. And then financially that certainly puts you in a position to push all in for a Rodon or a DeGrom still have five experienced pitchers and be really kind of financially flexible to go and get more relief help and a bat and, and fill address all the needs that this team needs addressed Now, you know, it's it's not every star-studded answer, but you certainly have addressed every hole that the team would need to fill. If you can't make a trade for one of those guys, then it becomes something of okay, where where's the either or? Do you go get two pitchers? Do you get one pitcher and a and a bat? Do you get one pitcher um, and multiple relievers and drop down on the bat? I, I I think some of those financial pieces still have to come into play. But the only thing that's certain is, as we're sitting here before Thanksgiving, they're in a more financially advantageous situation than they were. If they can get Lopez, great, go and get Lopez. And I'd be happy if they got, uh, I'd be happy if they got Yavaldi. Um, Bassett. Uh, uh, no, I'd be happy if they got Ubaldi, Tyone Bassett, or Radone. I'm a little bit concerned about Jacob Degrom just because of the more recent injury history. You know, Radon's had some injury problems in the past, too, but he threw 170 innings this year. Um, He seems to be a little, he seems to be past that. So, DeGrom, with his age and the the number of innings he's pitched the last three years does concern me a little bit for what it's going to take, which is probably going to be $40 million or more a year. But I think that if you go out and you get Radon, you save a little bit of money, and you can um, also go and address those other pieces that you need to address.
0: All right. I'm going I'm to try to be able to speak now about the fact that despite the fact that there is a cat on your shoulder at this point. So um, so the
2: cat, which, you know, Bob is a recent addition to the house and he's still kind of learning his place, which is any place he wants to be. But, um, he seems to like being on my desk when I work, which is a real problem. And the other day, when we were doing a conference call with Jake Odorizzi, um, a Zoom uh, with Jake Odorizzi after the Rangers had acquired him, he decided to walk right in front of the camera while I was in the middle of asking a question um, on camera. So it was, it was. Um, I was then referred to as noted cat lover Evan Grant.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. Oh, let's move on from that. Uh, so here's, here's my, you really don't here's, like animals, Kevin, do you? I'm not you a big cat guy. No, my, 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 oldest son has a cat and it isn't a nice cat. And I like their cat. Uh, it's the nicest cat I've ever been around, but that's, that's the thing about cats. You know, that first of all, they don't care about you. They, they couldn't care less about you. Uh, and, and they let you know that I get enough of that from humans around here. I don't need it from the animals. Uh, the lower animals as well. Well,
2: this is true, and, and our other cat, the senior Domino, is very much a jerk. This cat seems to actually
0: have some personality. So well, that's, that's that's great to know. All right, and Evan with his many uh, sound effects once again. Uh, all right, so so here's the thing for me. I'm on slack, Kevin, unlike you. Well, he, he, I, I'm on slack, but I do not have mine set up to where it makes noises when I get a message. Okay. Uh, you can do that. You don't have to get noises when you get a message. I can turn okay? the sound effects off. Yeah, yeah, you can. Let okay, it. let's move on. Uh, so Evan, uh, so one of the things you talked about is bringing up a bat, and I have to say, I our, our old pal Jeff Wilson, a formerly of the Fort Worth Star Telegram, has a newsletter now, and in it he proposed that the Rangers, to get a nice, cheap bat, a guy maybe you could you could put out in the outfield, who could play good defense, and you could platoon maybe uh, with Bubba Thompson uh, would be our old pal, um, uh, Joey Gallo. So here's, and I, I actually kind of thought, well, you know, I don't think it's, I know that a lot of fans would hate that. I didn't think it was necessarily a bad idea because, you know, the shifts are going to be gone and that's going to help him and, and all of that. But you know what I've decided, Evan, is that what this team needs to add to that lineup more than anything else, and this sounds like a crazy thing to say, is another hitter like Nate Lowe. Uh, what they need is a guy who is going to make contact, uh, who's got a, a little bit of pop. He doesn't have to have a lot, just a little bit of pop, just somebody who's g- going to get on base. And it goes back to something I remember when Tom Greve was uh, was still the general manager, and he was trying to, to fix the lineup, which was – full of, 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 of swing-and-miss guys at that time in the early 90s. And he went out and got Rafael Palmeiro and Julio Franco in the same offseason. Both of those guys were guys who were going to uh, – high contact, uh, and they had some pop, uh, obviously. Uh, but these were guys who were going to get on base uh, and and not only get on base but be able to you know to drive in some runs as well. So uh, let, is- let's,
2: let's review here. You're, number one, you're citing Jeff Wilson – and his proposal of Joey Gallo, even though two weeks ago when we ran our free agency guide, we did list Joey Gallo as a possibility. Hmm. Number two, you're advocating that the Rangers should
0: add a good hitter. Is that what you're advocating for? Uh, Evan, I don't know why you're being so ugly to me and to our our, my, our old pal, uh, you know, who used to work with you in the Thank press you. box. Thank and apparently... And apparently you hate him, and I had no idea that you hated him and wanted to be so ugly about this. But, but boy, be a hater, Evan. Go right ahead. The, here's the deal with Gallo. And, I mean, I, when, when I wrote about
2: him two weeks ago, I, I, I mentioned this. The shifts going away are certainly enticing for left-handed pull hitters, and it makes you think that some of those guys will have upticks in performance. The problem with Joey is he misses too much in the strike zone. You look at the numbers and the times he swing and missed and the rate of swing and misses in the zone. It's not that Joey's an undisciplined hitter. It is that he misses in the zone. His bat stays on one plane. If the ball moves up or down, he doesn't seem to his swing doesn't seem to adjust. And that's a problem. Yes. There may be some more hits that fall in because there will be some degree of a change in the shift, but I don't think it's going to be enough to make a significant difference if he's not making more contact. I think what the Rangers need is hitters who are, yeah, to your point, Nate Lowe, this is a guy who's got good strike zone discipline and who is capable of, who has shown capability of making adjustments, and if the ball is outside and off speed, he's able to wait on it and deliver a ball to left field. He showed an ability this year to hit velocity, which was a real weakness for him in 2021. So, yeah, I mean, there there are guys. I thought Jock Peterson would have been a guy for the Rangers that would have been attractive, particularly in a platoon situation with like a Bubba Thompson or somebody in the outfield. But that's he was what the Giants a,
0: did with him this year. They they platooned him, and he had right. a very. And good then they ball. offered him
2: a qualifying offer, and Jock Jock took it. So he's out of the picture. I I, I wonder if a guy like Brandon Belt, who has experience with Bruce Bochy, would be a candidate here as a potential DH and and right hand, and uh, left handed bat. So I I don't know that the Rangers need to go out and get an. Every day. They don't need to go. They're not going to go out and get Aaron Judge, but I do think that they do need to add a little bit more depth to this lineup. And I think that that's the one area where you can be a little bit more creative if you need to in how you approach it. The pitching, you've got to be more straightforward. You know, you can't be looking for bargains. You've got to go out and pay price, pay retail price for
0: pitching. Yeah, see, my my candidate last year, uh, you know, was Nick Castellanos. You know, this is a guy who's who's, a, who's obviously a, a proven hitter, uh, and and he went and 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 signed with the Phillies, and uh, and he did it, and he did a very good job for them. Uh, that's the kind of thing, and, and of course, he's a premier hitter. You know, then that's yeah, the guy.
2: You know, the, the other guy that would have been a great a great pickup last year would have been Kyle Schwarber. Um, yeah, but. You know, th- those were those were free agents who signed bigger deals than the Rangers were willing to pay once they got past the two middle infielders. And I don't know if they're going to be in that market for a hitter this year. Are they going to?
0: Are we underrating the return of Mitch Garver?
2: I, I listen. I think Mitch Garver can be an asset in a lot of ways for this team. Um, not the least of which is is obviously adding his bat on a regular basis. But I think this is also a guy that. By all accounts, is 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 a good clubhouse presence, and I think a lot of that was kind of cut out from under him last year because he was injured and was and was so ineffective. So I I, I would say, yeah, it would be a mistake to underestimate the, the the return of Mitch Garver. He's got thumping his bat. He's got the ability to take a good at bat if he's healthy and if the Rangers can manage his workload, particularly behind the plate and DH him part of the time. I think yeah he can be a he can be a significant addition to the lineup, but I still think if you're gonna if you're gonna play Garver 50 times behind the plate, now you've got to go out and find another bat to supplement at DH when he's when he's catching.
0: Yeah, well that's why I mean. you, you you brought up Brandon Belt. I mean that's yeah. a that's a great option there. Something like that, I, I'd be all for that. Um, and then there there are probably and I haven't looked over the field that that much, but I, I would think there are. Uh, several guys you could add to that that caliber. I mean they went out and got Cole Calhoun last year and that didn't work out so great. Uh he's a great guy in the clubhouse. Well, they, he just didn't get
2: listen, I think Cole Calhoun was not did not pan out for them. But if you want to make the case for guys who might benefit from the from the demise of the shift, Cole's a guy who was shifted as much who was shifted as much as anybody in baseball. Again, the problem with Cole Calhoun last year, not enough contact.
0: And yeah, a lot, lot of swing and
2: miss. On the pitching side, this is one of the reasons why I'm so high on Jamison Tyone is the thing that I'm looking at is they need guys who are going to pitch innings and not walk guys, okay? Tyone has a really low walk rate, and he pitches innings. That's why I'm attracted to him. On the hitting side, I need somebody who's going to strike out less at a less at a low, lower rate than guys like Gallo
0: and Calhoun. Yeah. Yeah, no question about it. They need to be adding some bats to do that. You you just need, you know, you you can't be betting all the time on the upside here. That well, maybe maybe he can work some things out here. That they, they need to get an idea of these guys getting on base because that's going to make quite a difference on this team. If you can get some guys on base in front of those guys at the top of the lineup, or the guys at the bottom of the lineup at least are getting on. I know that was the attraction of a guy like Josh Smith. Everybody talked about his on base percentage when he first came up. Absolutely zero pop, though. If he's not gonna, if he's not gonna have any power whatsoever, he's got to get on the base a lot. He's got okay. to have an OBP of about three seventy, frankly.
2: But the upside you're way. betting on, right, are the young players, are the guys like Ezekiel Duran, like Josh Smith, like Bubba Thompson, like Leody Tavares. That's mm-hmm. the upside you're betting on. You need more stability and consistency um, throughout the rest of the lineup. You can bet on some upside. But the upside
0: you're betting on here is your own prospects. Well, absolutely. You don't want to bet on uh, veterans that much, unless it's a guy coming back from something that's, that's happened, and then maybe, maybe so then. Okay. Uh, that, that's always interesting me to talk about that kind of stuff. And let me just say really quickly, I'm going to do a David Moore thing. Uh, really quickly, of those guys that you just mentioned there, who do you feel the best about of that four, those four or five young guys? Who do you think next year has the best chance – of being a really nice everyday. Well, I don't know if I want to say everyday because I'm not going to limit a guy like Duran or Josh Smith who are probably not going to be in the lineup that much.
2: You know, I I, listen one. I I feel like if the Rangers are going to acquire a pitcher, one of Josh Smith or Ezekiel Duran is probably going to have to be involved in the trade. Um, If Duran remains here, I think he's got the most complete bat of the, of the group. Um, All of them have different tools. Um, As we talked about, Josh Smith hustles, had good plate appearances. Bubba Thompson has incredible speed and is a great defender. Um, But the thing that plays in the big leagues most is your ability to hit. And I think Duran's got the biggest bat of that group.
0: Yeah, me too. Me too. All right.
2: I'm not including Josh Young in that group because I I, – I think the, the indication is Josh Young is an everyday third baseman. He's going to be an everyday third baseman. We're talking about guys that we don't know how they fit into the plan right now.
0: i got to tell you about Josh Young. Uh, the, the swing and mess bothered me uh, at the end of last year, but I, I I think this guy is going to be a big-time player. I, I do believe that they they have hit on a, a draft pick there. Uh, the, the other one, maybe not. They left him expose Davis Wenzel that same year uh, to the Rule 5 draft. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that, but uh, I, think Josh is,
2: I think there is real feeling in the organization that Josh Young is everything you would like a modern hitter to be. And um, I also think that he's the kind of guy who's liable to have taken what he got in September and it was valuable and apply it going forward.
0: Yeah, me too. All right, that's going to do it for the baseball segment of our podcast. We've talked about the Cowboys. We've talked about the Rangers. And now let's talk a little bit about college football as we're taping this on Wednesday. Tuesday night, the um, CFP rankings came out. No real surprises. Everything went pr- pretty much uh, by uh, by Hoyle here. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I, I wrote a column uh, last week, uh, or maybe it was the week before, uh, uh, talking about the, you know, I, I wouldn't take anything for granted if I were TCU uh, because uh, of what happened in 2014. And, and everybody seems to think, Oh no, you know, they're, they're fourth right now. If they went out they'll they'll be in. Listen, I, you know, one of the, the, one of the things they talked about back then with the CFP when they justified the fact that they bounced TCU from third to sixth after a 52 point win was that, Oh well we don't just, what happened the week before in our in our rankings has nothing to do with the next week. You know, every week is a new week. So I wouldn't necessarily assume anything can happen here because we always have the possibility of what can happen in the SEC, right? Uh we we always have the possibility that what if what if LSU wins you know the the uh, SEC championship game? Well, that's Are they the really gonna leave Georgia
2: out? But let me that's the big one that's out there. And I mean, I I don't know if you'd be able to knock Georgia out at at 11 and one or not. I don't think so. My question is, let's say TCU does run the table, right? Let's say they, they, they finish unbeaten. USC has Notre Dame this week, UCLA, and then the PAC 12 championship game, which I assume would be Oregon, I think. Right.
0: Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm.
2: so. They've got three top 15 programs in the next three weeks, p- potentially. Would that jump, That would a one-loss
0: USC team at that point jump ahead of TCU? You know, I, I think it's a possibility because, because here's the reason why. Because TCU's wins now, when they had that streak in October where they won four uh, games in a row, I think it was four games in a row against ranked teams, it's not looking as good now because those teams that they beat have not played well you know uh and and frankly you know not listen I was at that Texas TCU game their defense played great they did an unbelievable job stopping B. John Robinson and you know who's who's probably the best I mean there are people earlier in the year saying that B. John Robinson might be the best player in college football uh I I think that was a, a stretch to say that but he's certainly one of the top two or three running backs and maybe maybe he is the best running back in the nation. And they held him to, to 28 yards, 29 yards rushing it. You know, they did a phenomenal job of that. The, the flip side of that is, is that boy, Quinn Ewers has really been struggling. uh, The last three, his last three starts, he's completing, I, I believe 45% of his passes in his last three starts. So I, I can't say that a lot of what TCU did defensively to stop Quinn Ewers was something that, other teams weren't already doing as well. So the the but the flip side of that is is that what TCU does so well it three times Kevin. It's like well, a but, for crying out loud. They what they do really well is that they have a um, a really good uh propensity for the big play. Uh, they had uh, a 75-yard run by by Kendra Miller who's also one of the best backs in the country which nobody even touched him. Uh, and then they Quentin Johnston, who who's projected as a first round draft pick as a wide receiver, had a, a long touchdown catch and another big play in the game as well. And that's and those are the kind of things you, you can't call those flukes because that's what TCU does pretty much every game. they they have they have more big plays from their offense probably than just about any other offense in the country. So well, TCU's for you been impressive. Game.
2: And I think you may have addressed this or our old pal Kirk Bowles did, or both of you did. But is there conversation now that, hey, TCU got the guy that Texas should have gotten?
0: Well, absolutely. That's what uh, Kirk Bowles wrote uh, a column last week in which he talked to, uh, listen, and Kirk's got 45, 46 years worth of sources out there at Texas, which was his alma mater. Uh, and I. so I trust pretty much anything Kirk uh, reports uh, he talked to people who told him that Chris Del Conte, the Texas athletic director, had a deal basically done with Sonny to be the next coach. Uh, from what when, when I've been able to gather as well, uh, it wasn't just a, a, a late thing either. That apparently that deal had been in the works for a while and that Sonny was thinking that that was what was going to happen. And then when uh, Sonny was told by a reporter, that uh texas had hired steve sarkeesian uh sonny was shocked by that news uh so um so here's the, here's the question I, I had some people on twitter who were big texas fans and uh and they they resent this whole thing and try to poo poo this whole thing and try to say oh you know give him some time well he's had he's had 22 games and he's 11 and 11 uh so let me ask you this so so tom's Tom Herman's last three years at Texas, I believe he was 25 and 18. Does that sound right? Um, And then uh, uh, Gary Patterson's last three years at TCU, uh, he had a a losing record. I believe it was 16 and 18. Uh, So who inherited the tougher gig here? People were saying, well, you know, Sonny's just got Gary's guys. He goes, well, yeah, absolutely. That's true. And and Steve Sarkeesian has Tom Herman's guys, and they were coming off – better teams and if we look at the at the recruiting rankings every year texas is always recruiting better than tcu is that's never a question
2: anybody who says that texas is a tougher job a tougher place to win at than tcu i'd really have to question their sanity at that point in time
0: yeah there are political issues at texas that you don't have another place but yeah but look you got all the resources you got all the talent in the world i have people tell me all the time why are you so hard on texas and it's like come on I'm not that hard on Texas, first of all. And secondly, when you have all these kind of, you know, to whom much is given, much is is required. I mean, come on. You've got everything you could possibly want. Sonny went to TCU, took a program that really was kind of floundering the last three years. It's one of the reasons why Gary Patterson, a legend, got fired in the middle of the season. So he went in there. He made Max Duggan into a really viable quarterback. Max said, you know, yeah, he's a senior, and we could say that that's, that's obviously a big difference between a, a senior quarterback and a freshman, what Texas has with Quinn Ewers. But Quinn Ewers is going backwards right now. Max Duggan has, has gone from being a guy who was just a guy, pretty much, to a guy who was in the conversation for the Heisman Trophy. Now, I don't think that he, he really is anymore, uh, but he certainly had a really good year for TCU. So Sonny's done a phenomenal job. You know, the whole reason why Steve Sarkeesian got the job at Texas was not because of his head coaching record, Right. At Washington and at USC, very mediocre uh, record at, at both of those places. Uh, he got it because of his two years as the offense coordinator at Alabama, in which he coached uh, Tua Tagovailoa and then Mac Jones, and he did a really nice job with both those guys. Uh, and the,
2: also the reputation as a recruiter, right?
0: Well, yeah, yes, absolutely. And, then, and but but the the main reason that those. Texas boosters and Kevin type, the chairman of the board of regents, who is the guy that made the hire, and that's that's the other side of that story I was telling a while ago, was that you know Chris Del Conte had this whole thing done, and then Kevin Elty said came to him and said, "Uh, wait a minute, we don't want Sunny Dykes." I, I got to really think now. And I don't know this, but I got to think that one of the things that happened was Texas hired uh, Tom Herman from Houston, and then and then Chris Del Conte was going to hire Sunny Dykes from SMU. I think oh, yeah. that. I think that these Texas regions were saying these Texas big shots were saying we're tired of hiring uh, people from these pissant colleges in Texas. Let's go get us a guy from the SEC because we're going to go to the SEC and we want somebody who's been there knows what it takes to win and has worked with the big time talent like the SEC gets. And, you know, okay, I guess you could, but I got to tell you, I was not a big fan of the hire from the very beginning. I just, uh, what has he done as a head coach? I, there are plenty of stories out there about guys who were good coordinators and they just weren't good head coaches, right? We see it all the time happens all the time. So I, I'm not saying this, listen, I'm not saying that Steve Sarkeesian is a, a bad hire. I'm not saying that that's not never going to work out because look, if Quinn years doesn't work out and if Arch Manning still comes, he's going to end up with a really good quarterback here pretty soon. And maybe that fixes everything. I I, I said, going to this game last Saturday, if Quinn Ewers plays a good game, I think that, that Texas will win. And, and I think that would have been the case. Uh, Quinn Ewers did not play a good game. He played a very poor game. Had he played a good game, yeah, I think they could have beaten uh, TCU uh, on Saturday. But they didn't. So, you know, I had s- someone also made the point to me, well, you know, well, you brought up Sarkeesian's record against the Washington USC. Why didn't you talk about, you know, uh, Sonny's record at Cal? Well, <laughs> are we really going to compare Cal to Washington and USC. I mean, those are two of the best football programs in the country. They are, you know, Washington doesn't win like it used to, but these are two of the winningest programs in the history of college football compared to Cal in which he had Jared Goff and, you know, put a guy in the, in the pros as a quarterback. So, and he did a pretty good job at SMU as well. So yeah, I will take Sonny's record as a head coach over what Steve Sarkeesian did at Washington and and USC. So at any rate, do they have you know should they have hired uh sonny dykes well i, I think that uh, if i'm chris del conti i'd be feeling pretty good about the fact that that's the guy i wanted even though he came out and said all the right things to kirk and which basically he said oh, oh no those were just conversations and if you're chris really County, you feel pretty good about that's the guy i wanted even though that's the guy you didn't end up with <laughs> well i gotta tell you you know uh at least he could say that right i'd, I'd at least feel good saying that listen the the what you get from uh, from all the talk and, and uh, reporting is that Chris Del Conte is looked at as a guy who's a fundraiser, uh, but other people are making the big decisions uh, on, on coaches like that, and which obviously is what happened. Right, uh, Kevin Eltife made that call along with some other select boosters that they wanted Steve Sarkeesian. So, you know, they went over the the athletic vector's head, which that happens occasionally, uh, but it always suggests that maybe uh, priorities aren't straight here, right? You know, I don't understand how Texas ends up the way it does. Uh, And and certainly it did not, and it has not worked out at A&M with Jimbo Fisher, right? His record is no better after what, 50 something games than Kevin Sumlin's was at the same point. As a matter of fact, Kevin Sumlin Sumlin is ahead of where Jimbo was at the same point in their careers uh, at A&M. But so at I, least the Aggies went out and invested And You we can we can make fun of the, the 10-year contract which you know is still a 10-year contract cuz they rolled it over and it's 95 million now instead of 75 million and and that's a lot of money. But at least they spit big. They went big. When has Texas ever gone big at uh with their football coach?
2: So I, have, I as a complete non-sequitur then I have this question for you. Speaking of coaching prospects where is Deion Sanders coaching at this time next year?
0: Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd recommended that he go to Auburn, and uh, and that would be that would be an interesting hire, just because you'd had the uh, the guys on the same AFLAC commercial coaching in the same state. I think that'd be great. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that Dion probably is going to be able to get himself a job someplace else if he wants it. Uh, you know, the question about Dion was. W- you know, as as it is with all uh, former formerly great athletes, Hall of Fame athlete, right? yeah, the Hall of Fame athlete. Does he really want to work this hard? Almost none of them do. You know, they all made their names for themselves as players. They don't have to do anything now. Do they really want to work hard enough to do this? My experience has been they don't. I, I'm not, but I'm not going to say across the board that's the case. Now, Dion's done a great job. At, at Jackson State. So, you know, maybe he I, I, maybe he will think, do that.
2: I honestly don't think great is a strong enough word. I mean, based on based on the fact that he was going he, he didn't go to a power five school, right? He went to a swag school that didn't have a whole lot of of visibility. He's brought visibility, he's brought competitiveness there. Um and, and, and if you're gonna go into coaching going into coaching at at, at that level, rather than having the resources of a power five school, that's an even harder job. Yeah. I think it gets easier for
0: Dion from here. If he wants to continue coach. I wouldn't say easier. Look, I'm I'm just going to say this. He's done a great job. He's recruited some really good athletes to come there. that's, that's been really good. And when you get really good athletes at that level, then you're going to win some games. You know, uh, I, I think he's, he's done a really good job. I, it, it's just a different animal when you get in the SEC. I mean, boy, howdy. If he goes to Auburn, I, I don't know why everybody thinks Auburn is such a great job. You know, it it's tough. It's not even like it is in Texas with A&M and Texas. Those schools are more equals, right? Even though Texas has the better pedigree, they've won more championships and all that, uh, and, and certainly more recently, uh, but A and M's resources the same. You, you, I'd say that they go they go toe to toe, right? And when they play each other in the SEC, they'll go toe to toe. Auburn and Alabama. Auburn has its, has had its moments, but Alabama is a national program. Man, that's a tough job. Why would you want it? I don't know why you'd want it. I if I was good enough to get that job, I'd want another one. You know, I'd want to go someplace else. But you know, you you, you hear all kinds of things. Listen, Lane Kiffin, he might want to leave Ole Miss to go to Auburn. You know, uh, Lane Kiffin might want to leave Ole Miss to go anywhere. Uh, that that's just his history and the kind of stuff that he does. But uh, but we'll we'll see what they do here. I, just before we get out of here, I just want to you know kind of reiterate. So so what we got basically, uh, if, if TCU wins out, let's just go ahead and close on that. If TCU wins out, yes, they should. I I do think that they will get in the CFP, and uh, and I and I think that it will be that is the only obviously the only prayer for the big 12. I don't think that USC will jump them because, because USC is in the same boat, essentially that uh, TCU is first year coaches, uh, neither conference really great. uh, And TCU has been there all year long and they're undefeated. How how do you really jump uh, an undefeated, you know, if, if, if it were LSU with one loss, you know, then I, I, I'd i see that as a possibility. I, I just don't see it with USC. I I, I mean, listen, <laughs> you start
2: looking at schedules, right? Well, oh, that's the
0: thing. That, then that's it. Then the committee could talk themselves out of anything. But I'm just going to say if – for everybody who said, "Oh, they're already fourth. They're going to be in it," don't, you know, and you know, Michigan and Ohio State, one of those two is dropping out. TCU might even move up one to three. Uh, well, uh, listen, they better hope they move up one to three because you, you certainly don't want to play, be playing Georgia in the in the first round of the playoffs. That I I, I think you know if Georgia doesn't win the national championship again, uh, I think it uh, that'll be a huge failure for the Bulldogs. So I know that's a. That's a, a good way to end it for you, Evan.
2: I, I, listen, I, it, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it, it's all gravy. They won a national championship last year. They are playing really, really well this year. The same thing applies to Georgia that I think applies to so many programs, and you, you've already referenced it, right? You don't know what you're getting from week to week at quarterback there. Um yeah. I was convinced that there was no way that they could beat Tennessee if Stetson Bennett threw the ball and then he had a great quarter throw in the ball and they took a, a giant lead. So I, I don't know. I, I that defense is impressive. I think they are the best team in the country. I don't I, I, I don't dispute that they are the best team in the country. But well
0: they they play great defense and that's that's what that's what do. yeah. You do.
2: But once you get to the playoffs, I mean anything is possible.
0: That is correct. All right, that is going to do it for our podcast this week. Thanks for tuning in with us. We'll be back next week, and maybe we'll have everybody in the room all at once. That would be really be great. Everybody could be knocking heads and talking about stuff and, and uh, all the rest of it. So, Bob we'll will be see. back, too. Yeah, there we go. That would be that'd be super great. Yeah, more cat. All right, from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time.